Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. It's probably dusty in that part of your Bible. I understand it's dusty in my Bible in that part too. But Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you're new to the Bible, Malachi isn't too hard to find. Uh, Just go to the four Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go back one book from Matthew. You'll find yourself in the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. If you were here last Sunday, um, we, we, we finished up our study on the book of Judges, and we looked at five chapters last week. That was really ambitious, right? So, sigh relief, this morning we're only looking at five verses. So hopefully this will be a little bit more manageable, be all good, right? So if you are new to the Bible, uh, again, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, right there in the seat before you, you can find a copy of the Bible, find Malachi with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that uh, Bible home with you and begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. As you're finding Malachi, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been bored? Oh, absolutely, you've been bored, right? And, and so I don't know what it is that bores you or, or, or what you think is boring, but for all of us, it's probably something different. Like, like a, a trip to Tanger is obviously a boring day, right? And so, so maybe that's for you, boring. Maybe for you, it's, it's watching a PGA golf tournament. That can be boring. Or how many of you are NASCAR fans? Don't admit it, right? Okay, so, so I still don't understand that because you're watching the car go around a track a thousand times. I mean, that, that's kind of boring. I mean, and so we all have things, right, that, that come to mind when we think of, of things that are boring. And, and if you have kids, especially during this pandemic, I bet you at some point in this pandemic, you've heard your kids say what? I'm bored. <laughs> you want to say, I'll give you something to be bored about, right? And so, 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 and it doesn't make any sense because, I mean, if you're my age, I mean, I'm, I'm in my uh, mid-20s, right? So if you're my age, um, you remember what life was really like back in the day when it was boring. Because all we had was an Atari 2600. I mean, you can only do so much with that. Now there's Xbox, there's Switch, there's this, there's that. I mean, for any kid to say they're, they're bored, there's something wrong, right? But, but you've probably even heard your kids say this during the pandemic. Maybe you've said it, I don't know. I'm bored to Yeah, I'm bored to death. Did you know this? I, I bet you didn't. You can actually really die from boredom. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And so 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 there was a study that was that was released back in two thousand my son, he, he's scared now, right? <laughs> oh, he's not gonna say I'm bored anymore, right? So so back in two thousand nine there was this study that these researchers did, and, and they, they interviewed people over the course of time that said that their lifestyle was boring, people who identified themselves as people who had a, a, a boring life. And here's what they found out. If you're someone who identifies yourself as having a boring life, you're more prone to have cardiovascular problems, right? And because you're more prone to have cardiovascular problems, you're more prone to die. I mean, it's just what happens, right? So apparently, and you know, I don't have to tell you this. I mean, they didn't know, do, need to do a research study to find this out. When you are always bored, what do you tend to do? 
turn to bad habits to try to overcome the boredom. Whether it be drugs or alcohol or overeating or whatever the case may be. And so according to research, if, if you're bored to death, you might really die, right? And so I know that's encouraging. That's what you wanted to hear this morning. But, but, but think about it. It's, it's one thing to say I'm bored with whatever. A Tanger Outlet Day or NASCAR or whatever the case may be. It's another thing to be bored with God. And here's what I know, and here's what you know. I don't have to tell you this either. Every single one of us at some point in our relationship with God, have we not? We have all been bored with God. You don't want to admit it because you want to be nice to me, right? But even right now, you're looking at your watch. These next 35, 40 minutes can be very boring for you, right? I mean, I know that because something about faith. That, that, that at times our faith is real exciting and life-giving and energizing. And then there are other times where our faith just seems to be rather boring. And, and you know the truth like I know the truth. I mean, he's God. Like the God who created everything and, and has called us to, into a relationship with himself. There should be nothing boring about a relationship with God. But yet there seems to be. And this is why Malachi is so relevant for us today. This ancient prophet, he speaks to a people who were bored with God. Ancient Israel at this time, they had grown very apathetic in their relationship with God. And so God raises up this prophet Malachi to address their spiritual boredom. And so over the next uh, couple of months, we're going to be looking at all the different ways the nation of Israel was bored with God. And as we look at these ways, the nation of Israel was bored with God is probably going to resonate with us because some of the things they were bored with are probably some of the same things that we're bored with in our relationship with God. And so my my hope is as we walk through this book together, God will renew us in our walk with him. And some of these things that bore us will never bore us again. For example, the opening verses of Malachi, God addresses a people who were bored, now watch, with his love, which makes no sense. How can you be bored with God's love? But these people were, and, and I wonder this morning, if you're here and you're bored, not only with God, but specifically with God's love for you. And if you this morning are bored with God's love, I want to show you why that might be the case. I want to show you three reasons why we sometimes get bored with God's love and and how we can battle against that, how we can overcome that. Take your Bibles, Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Now, I know when I read this, it's going to be weird, but just hang with me. We'll break it all down. Here here we go. Beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says. They may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning and for time to be together in your word. And Father, the last thing we want in our relationship with you is to be bored. 
what we want to experience is vibrancy, vitality, renewal in our walk with you. We want to experience the full joy of walking in a relationship with Jesus. And so, Father, we're asking this morning that, that for those of us who may be apathetic in our faith, that today we would ex- begin to experience a renewal in our souls, a renewed longing to know you and to experience on a daily basis your great love for us. And so, Father, we're trusting now that your Spirit is speaking to us as you speak to us. Help us to listen carefully to what you're saying and to respond to your voice in faith and obedience and surrender. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I know you're like me, that, that you, you probably oftentimes struggle to read through the prophets. I mean, they're, they're just strange in what they say. The prophet spoke to a culture that is different than our culture. If you, you know, are one of those people that like to read through your Bible over the course of the year, when you get to the prophets, you oftentimes, like I do, struggle because it's just so odd to read their message. And, and you know what we just did. We spent, over the course of the pandemic now, we spent several months walking through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It was so encouraging because Paul wrote to encourage believers, and it was an encouraging time for us to be encouraged by what Paul had to say. Malachi is different than Philippians because, because when, the, when the prophets gave a word from God, it wasn't an encouraging word. There was always hope in the prophetic books, but man, it was a word of rebuke. When the prophet spoke on behalf of God, it wasn't encouraging. It was calling people out for their sin. In fact, when you read the very first verse of this book, it says what? The oracle of the Lord. Now that word oracle isn't a word we use a whole lot. I know that. You probably didn't use that as you were in conversation yesterday. And so you probably don't understand what the word oracle means because it's just not a word that we use a lot. But that word oracle That word oracle in the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament was written in in the Hebrew language. That word oracle in the Hebrew language, sometimes in our English translations, we'll translate that same word as burden. And that's what it was. When these prophets, when they spoke for God and when they gave the message of God, it was a burden. Because they were carrying much weight with that message, right? It it was a message that they didn't really want to give at times because it was a a hard message and they didn't know how people would respond to the message. And, And oftentimes the prophets themselves were persecuted by their own people because of the word that they delivered. Being a prophet wasn't an easy job. And so here you have the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi. His name, it simply means my messenger. And and that's exactly who Malachi is. He is the messenger of God, bringing the word of God. And again, when you read the prophets, their, their language is different. It's sometimes difficult to understand. So let me help you understand what's going on here. Look again at the first verse. The oracle of the word of the Lord of Israel by Malachi, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now go ahead right now, underline that phrase, I have loved you. Because, this is interesting to me, we said the prophetic books, uh, they, they bring a message of rebuke, right? Uh, they, they, they bring sometimes a message of, of judgment. They call the people to repent. Yet in Malachi, God starts by saying what? I have loved you. That's good. Let me, let me tell you why that's good. 
One, that, that, that phrase, I have loved, here's, here's a grammar lesson for you. You might remember this back from your days in, in high school taking English. That phrase, I have loved, is in what we call the perfect tense. Remember that from, from high school? The perfect tense. And so what perfect tense means is that, that it's ongoing, right? Like it was in the past, I did love you, but I ain't stopped loving you. I still love you. I have loved you. What's so interesting about Malachi is Malachi shows us God as a father. And it's as if when God begins to speak to the nation of Israel through Malachi, he's like a father getting down on the level of his children. And he's saying, listen, we've got to talk this out. There's some things I need to make you aware of. But before we start talking about this, just know, I love you. What I'm about to tell you is for your good. What I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you out of love. I have loved you. And then you see what happens. Israel has been making some accusations against God. And so, so think about it this way. God, loving Heavenly Father, and Israel, they're His children. They're His children who are constantly throwing temper tantrums. And they're his children who make some wild accusations against him. Look, I have loved you, says the Lord. But Israel says what? You love us? Come on, God, really? No, you don't. I mean, how, do you know what we're going through? Do you see the mess we're in? How can you say you love us? That, that cannot be true. Well, let's back up and think about the history. You have three prophetic books. Haggai. Zechariah, Malachi. They're written, now watch, you've got to understand this. Come on, I need you to come in close this morning and listen. I've got to give you some history. These books are written after the exile. You remember the exile? So, so, so God promises his people that they are his people. He's going to make them into a great nation. But you know what happens in the story of Israel. They constantly rebel against God. And eventually what will happen in the rebellion is Israel will actually become two different kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And God warns them, if you keep rebelling, if you keep disobeying, there are going to be consequences for your sin. I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going to give you a time out, if you will. And it happens. In 722 BC, the Assyrians, they come into the northern kingdom and they take over the northern kingdom. And then 586 BC, you're familiar with this, the southern kingdom is taken captive by the Babylonians. Oh, imagine. Life going along, and all of a sudden, the massive Babylonian army comes in to your town. And and literally what happened is is they left some people there. They killed some people. Imagine you're a kid, six or seven. And this might have been the case with Daniel. We don't know. But you're sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And you see your parents murdered before your eyes. And then you're taken off in a cage to Babylon. That's what happened. They went into exile. And they were there for 70 years. After 70 years, God moves on the heart of a king. In fact, while they're in Babylon, God speaks through the prophets. And God speaks through the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and tells his people, you're not going to be in exile forever. Exile is coming to an end. You are going to go back into the land. And it happened. Seventy years after being in exile, God raises up a Persian king who lets the people go back. Not everybody goes back. In fact, life in Babylon wasn't that bad after all. 
And so there are some, many in fact, that choose to stay in Babylon. But some, they long to be back home. They long to be back in Jerusalem. They long to be back where they can worship Yahweh. And so they make their way back. And you read about that story in Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And when they get back, imagine. Imagine what Jerusalem looked like. Seventy years prior, it had been destroyed by Babylon. Over the years, there probably been other armies that came in and further ravaged the city. When they came back to Jerusalem, what they found was nothing. Homes had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. It was nothing. So they begin the process of rebuilding. Again, you read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. They rebuild their homes. They rebuild the wall of the city. And ultimately, they rebuild the temple. But here's the problem. It's never what it was. I mean, think about it. In the days of Solomon, when Solomon built the temple, there was nothing in the world like the temple to God. And and there was no nation on the face of the planet like the nation of Israel. And now here they are, right? They're back in Jerusalem. They've got this temple now that's nowhere near what it was in the days of Solomon. They're struggling to get their lives back together. I mean, all the Jewish people did not come back with them. It's just a mess. You love us, God. Do you see? Come on, God. This this is supposed to be your city. We're supposed to be your people. Jerusalem is supposed to sit on a hill and shine for all the world to see. Do you see the... How can you say you love us? Don't you see the mess that we are in? They just didn't get it. This was their new normal. And it wasn't good, right? Think about it. How many of you are still going to Chick-fil-A drive-thru? You still going to Chick-fil-A drive-thru? Yeah, you are. I went like three times this past week. So, so, but here's, here's what happens. Every time I ride in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, I see it. I see the restaurant there. And I see the inside. And I want so bad to get in there. It's just not the same eating my chicken sandwich in the car. I want to go sit down at the table and I want to partake of the Lord's chicken in the restaurant. But I can't. New normal stinks, right? Like, in my mind, I think, God, God, don't you, God, you know. You know I want to be in there. You know when it was better, right? Or think about this. How many of you have watched baseball this weekend? It's weird. Oh, they got the cutout fans, and I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm watching baseball, I'm like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Or you think about maybe, just maybe, college football's coming, right? And they're already announcing it, right? The, the schedules are changing, we're only playing conference games, and, 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 and all those kinds of things. So here's what I know is going to happen. You know it's going to happen, too. Georgia is going to win the national championship this year. It's just going to happen, right? But here's the problem. They didn't play a full schedule. So for the rest of history, there's going to be an asterisk by them. They didn't really win it because they didn't play a full schedule. Nothing's like what it's supposed to be. This was the problem in ancient Israel. Are you following me? They came back and nothing was like it was supposed to be. And so they have the audacity to look at God and say, God, come on. How can you say you love us? And, and I, I wonder, I wonder if we've done the same thing. If, if we've questioned God's love because we don't think God's been good enough to us. That was the issue. 
God, you haven't been good enough to us. How can you say, do you see the mess we're in? And so just a couple warnings that you need to be aware of. Beware of letting your circumstances shape your view of God. Your circumstances do not for one second change the fact that God loves you. You know this, don't you? We live in a broken world. Things just happen. Pandemics happen. Chick-fil-A closing its dining room. It just happens, right? It doesn't mean that God loves us any less. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us. It doesn't mean that at all. And so you've got to be careful. I've got to be careful because oftentimes I'll look at my circumstances and I'll see how bad my life stinks and I'm tempted to say to God, come on, God, I know you can do better than this. I mean, don't I deserve a little bit more? How can you say you love, if you loved me, my life wouldn't be as bad as it is, right? But that's letting your circumstances shape your view of God. And the only thing that should be shaping your view of God is his word, not your circumstances. Or think about this. Beware of letting the consequences of your sin shape your view of God. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Because for Israel, the reality was, it was their sin that got them into their mess. Now, listen. Listen. I know we don't like to talk about this, because nobody likes to talk about sin. But let's just be honest. Sometimes the messes you're in in your life are not because God lacks love for you. Sometimes the messes you're in in this life are because you just make really bad, sinful choices. And the reality is, Scripture tells us this. You will reap what you sow. And it it could be, right? The reason why your life's a mess is because of some very sinful things that you have done. Now, the good news is there's always hope for you. God is in the business of putting things back together. God is in the business of forgiving your sins and and giving you new life, right? But don't in your sin look at God and say, God, you must not love me when it's actually the opposite. You've shown God a lack of love through your own sinful choices. Don't blame God when it's you. You see what I'm saying? See, we oftentimes think, that God's just not been good enough to us. When the fact is, he is always good to you. Don't let your circumstances shape the way you view God. And don't let the consequences of your sin shape the way you view God. God loves you. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, right? And and I know it when, when we read it in the text, you didn't see this coming, right? I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. What? I mean, that, why in the world? Why in the world all of a sudden does God bring up Jacob and Esau? This makes no sense to us. But in this context, when God says, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated, this would have made perfect sense to them. Because this is language of the covenant. Now, now, let's review. I know you know this. You're you're smart Christians. I I don't have to tell you all this, but, but let's just review. How many people are born sinful? Everyone. Right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I said, good, you did good on that one. Let me ask you another question, see how well you do on this. How many people deserve 
hell. Very good. Everyone, right? Because we're all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23. The wages, what we earn for our sin is death. So you think about it. What did Jacob deserve? Hell. What did Esau deserve? Hell. Let's take it back even further. Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, what did he deserve? Hell, separation from God. What about Abraham? He deserved it too. Every person who's ever been born because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, every person born since then, we have all been born with a sin nature. And every one of us, by nature and by choice, we all rebel against God. And so therefore, every single one of us, we deserve death, eternal death, separation from his grace. We deserve eternal hell. Now, I know that's not a popular message in today's culture either, but that's biblical truth, my friend. You understand that, right? But now watch this. Everyone deserves hell. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man and he begins to change the course of history. Everyone deserves hell, but not everyone's getting hell. Good. He comes to Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. A great nation. And every nation on the face of the planet is going to be blessed through you. Then he comes to Isaac. Isaac marries a woman, Rebekah. Rebecca gets pregnant. And in Genesis chapter 25, you, you know the story? In Genesis chapter 25, God comes to Rebecca and says to Rebecca, in your womb, in your womb, there are two children. Those two children are two nations. And, 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 and those two nations, they're going to be at war against each other, right? And the older shall serve the younger. And these two sons are born, Jacob and Esau. And, and you know the story. Esau, he's going to give birth to a nation, the nation Edom. And then Jacob is going to give birth to 12 sons. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. You follow? You still awake? Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. And, And his 12 sons are going to become the tribes of Israel. And so in God's grace, he chooses to call Jacob to himself and make Jacob into that great nation that he promised back to Abraham. The question is, why Jacob and why not Esau? Who knows? Who knows? But in God's economy, according to God's plan, according to God's purpose, God chooses to show grace to Jacob so that there would be a great nation, so that ultimately God would bring about a great work of redemption through one born of that nation named Jesus Christ. You see, this is good. And so God reminds, now watch this, God reminds the people of Israel in the book of Malachi, what? You're part of that nation. Remember Jacob? I made a covenant with him. Now, now, think about this word covenant, right? Covenant is different than a contract. Many of you, you're like me. You have a, you have a home mortgage, don't you? You have a home mortgage, and you pay a certain amount of money each month, and, 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 and it goes towards your mortgage. What will happen if you, start, if you stop paying your mortgage? You're going to come live with me, right? You're going to need a place to go because they're going to come and take away your house. You know that because that's the contract you signed. It's not personal. It's just business, right? It's transactional. You see what I'm saying? That you agree in that contract to pay your mortgage every month. And when you stop doing it, you're going to lose your house. That's just what happens. It's not personal. It's business. 
But, now watch this. Watch, 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 watch. A covenant is personal. Because when you stood on a stage like this, or at an altar, and made a vow to your spouse, it wasn't business, was it? It was personal. You promised to love your wife. You promised to love your husband in sickness and death and, and, and health and prosperity and poverty and all those things. That was the covenant you made with your spouse. Now, now go back to the biblical times. God made a covenant with his people. It was personal. It was relational. I promise that you're my people. I promise I'm going to love you. And it started with Jacob. You are of the people of Jacob. You are of Israel. Nothing will ever change my love for you because I made a promise to you. And, and now, now I, I know that's ancient, but, but bring it to today. That happened to you as well. God made a promise to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that he would what? Forever love you. Now, now watch this. Let me show you. Let me show you. Sometimes we question God's love because we don't think he's being good enough to us. And other times we, we get bored with God's love because we don't understand the covenant that God has made with you. Now, now follow me carefully. You know this? God has set his affection on you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this, this will blow your mind. Paul writes and says, Before the foundations of the world, before you ever existed, before you were born, God set his love on you. Right? Before you were born, God chose to adopt you into his family. Before you even existed, God set his affection on you. And then what happened is you were born. And at some point in your life, and I don't know what it was, it might have been for you last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, at some point, God revealed himself to you. Just like he revealed himself to Abraham and to Moses and to Isaac and to Jacob, God revealed himself to you. But he revealed himself to you in the person of Jesus. He opened your eyes so you might see your sin. And he called you into a relationship with himself. And you made a decision to give your life to him, to follow him by faith. You see, in eternity past, God set his affection on you. Then he revealed himself to you in the present. Makes makes sense? And you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And then now watch this. Then God placed expectations on you because of your privilege. Think about it. Out of all of the people in the world, God has chosen to give grace to you. Out of all the people in the world, God has chosen to adopt you into his family. Out of all the people in the world, he's invited you into a relationship with himself, right? With that comes great privilege and expectation that you might live out your life to glorify him. Is anybody with me this morning? That makes sense to you? You're privileged, my friend, because you are a child of the covenant. Because 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died in your place, the death that you deserved, and rose again from the dead, offering you an invitation to be a part of his covenant family. In eternity past, God chose to adopt you, and in the present, he brought you into his family. And now he's placed on you expectations because you are privileged to know God. We're going on vacation on Tuesday. We're heading up to Gatlinburg, which... You think about, why would we leave Charleston, right? Because, you know, you've read the magazines. Charleston is the best city in the world. I mean, I know there's traffic here and all that, but, but man, three beaches, some of you are Folly fans, some of you are Isle of Palm fans, some of you are Sullivan fans. I mean, this is the best city in the world. Why would you want to go anywhere else, right? Because I got to see it. Well, 
The magazines might tell me this city is the best city in the world. There's got to be something better, right? That's why we take vacations. We want to go see the glories of the mountains. We want to travel across the world because, yeah, Charleston's great, but come on, there's got to be something out there better, right? And we forget how privileged we are to live in the best city in the world, right? Think about our relationship with God. Ain't nothing more to see. You follow? If you're in a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing better out there. Like you've got it all. Everything belongs to you in Christ. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, there's nothing more to see. There's nothing better out there. You've got it all in Christ. And and so knowing, knowing that kind of privilege that in Christ you have it all, then it does carry some expectations on you. And so the challenge is for us, right, is to don't waste your privilege. You follow? You are the most privileged people on the face of the planet, just like the nation of Israel was because you've been brought into the covenant. So don't waste your privilege. And you waste your privilege every time you're self-absorbed. Every time we sit down and pout like the nation of Israel did. And we say, God, you don't really love me. If you did, my life would be better. How, how can you say, every time you do that, you're wasting your privilege. And, and every time you refuse to grow in your relationship with Christ, you're wasting your privilege. And, and that's what's happening in this book, right? As God confronts these people in their boredom, they refuse to grow. They stop growing in their walk with God. And when you refuse to grow in your walk with God, when you quit investing into your relationship with God, when you stop reading the Word, when you stop being involved in community, when you stop growing, you know what you're doing? You are wasting the privilege. You, me, have been invited into a relationship with the God of all creation. There is no greater privilege. Don't waste it. Or think about this. You waste your privilege when you refuse to live your life other-centered. You've heard me say this before. The whole reason why God extended grace to you is so that through you, he might extend grace to other people. You follow? This was the whole reason why God created the nation of Israel. So they might shine a light of hope to the world. And when you and I refuse to shine that light of hope to the world, when we refuse to take the gospel seriously and share it with our neighbors and our friends, when we refuse to grow in our understanding of how to share the gospel, man, we are wasting the privilege. Are you following me? Because I'm afraid what's happening in in my life at times, in your life, in the life of our church, what I'm afraid is that we're completely blowing it. We have this privilege of knowing God and living on his mission. We have this privilege of being in a love relationship with God, but yet we're bored with it. Like it just doesn't matter. And, and you know this like I do. Nothing matters more than the relationship we have with Jesus and the calling that he has on our lives. Don't waste it, my friend. Let me show one more thing we're done. Sometimes we're bored with God's love because we don't think he's being good enough to us. Sometimes we're bored with God's love because we don't understand the covenant that he's called us into. Sometimes we're bored with God's love because we don't understand how he's preserved us. Look at this, and I don't have much time, but, but listen, this is, this is really fascinating. You come down and you see what it says. Yet I have loved Jacob, Esau have hated, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now, re- reminder, who deserves separation from God? Everybody. Who's received grace? 
those that God has set his affection on. Jacob, Israel, you, me, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? But come down and look what it says. If Edom says, we are shattered, verse 4, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people will, uh, with whom the Lord is angry forever. You shall see this with your own eyes, and say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, now, now listen to what's going on. From Rebekah's womb came two nations, Israel and Edom. And they were enemies. In fact, what you read about in Psalm 137, verse 7, is when the nation of Israel went into exile, Edom rejoiced. Ha, look at you. And so you can imagine as as Israel comes back to Jerusalem and it's not as good as they thought it would be, they look over at Edom. Come on, God. You see how bad our life is? Look at Edom. They're prospering. Look at Edom. They make fun of us. They mock us. Look at Edom. It seems like all is going well with them. And then God says this. Remember, who deserves separation from God? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone who's rejected God deserves separation. God has chosen to extend grace to those who follow him by faith. Right? And so what God says to Israel, Edom, they will not stand. They're going to have some battles. They're going to try to rebuild. And whenever they try to rebuild, I will thwart their efforts. My anger will kindle against them. They are going to get, now watch this, watch this, come in close. They are going to get what they deserve because of the rejection of me. But what did Israel get? They did not get what they deserved. Are you following me? You tracking? Now watch, they did not get what they deserved. They did not deserve to come out of captivity. They deserved to be left in Babylon as slaves. They deserved to be destroyed. But God chose to extend grace to the nation of Israel here in the book of Malachi. And because of that, as, as the enemies of Israel fell, guess who was standing? Israel. Not because they deserved to stand but because of the grace of God and his love for them. Now watch this. Who deserves eternity apart from God? Every single person on the face of the planet because their rebellion and rejection of God deserves eternity apart from God. And there will come a day of judgment when all who reject God will get what they deserve. But you know who will be standing? You. Me. We will be standing, even though we deserve to fall as well. Something has happened in our lives. God has made a covenant with us through the blood of Jesus, through his death and resurrection. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood in your place on a cross. He died the death that you deserve. He took your sin upon himself and rose again three days later. He stood for you. And now because of your faith in the one who died and rose again for you, because the covenant of God given to you, the promise of his love for you, you will always stand in victory. Every other person will fall in judgment, and rightly so, but not you. How can you be bored with God's love when you understand his grace and what he's done for you?
right? And, and now watch this, and we're done with this. When you understand God's love, when you live in light of God's love, when you begin to understand this covenant and this grace and the fact that in eternity past, he set his affection on you, instead of being ungrateful and unwilling to do what God wants you to do, which is most of us, we disobey all the time. When we understand God's love, instead of being ungrateful and unwilling to do what God wants us to do, we become extremely grateful and willing. Right? Because we know. We know we deserve nothing that God gives us, yet he's chosen to extend us grace. And, and when you understand God's love, your attitude begins to change even if your circumstances do not. I, I hate to bear a bad news. I don't think corona's going away anytime soon. I mean, I'd like to say after the election it'll go away, but who knows, right? I, I hate to be of bad news. 2021 might not get any better. Because if it's not corona, it's going to be something else. You understand? We live in a fallen world, and if we believe what the Bible says, as we await the turn of Christ, it ain't going to get better. It's only going to get worse, right? Your circumstances are going to get better, but, but, but your attitude... It can't get better because you know, you know who you belong to and you know you stand in victory. And so as we close our time together this morning, maybe you're here, maybe you're here as a follower of Jesus, you know it, you've been bored, you've been bored with your faith, you've been bored with God's love, you don't think he's been good enough to you, you don't understand his love and you have not seen how he's been at work in your life preserving you, helping you to stand. Maybe this morning you need what I need. One, repentance. And two, just this desperate cry to God, renew me. Immerse me in an understanding of your love. Immerse me in your word. Immerse me in the people of God who can help me to grow in your love. And maybe for you this morning as we close our time together as a follower of Jesus, you like me, just need to pray, God, immerse me. Immerse me in your love. Immerse me in an understanding of it so I might live my life faithfully before you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online via Facebook or YouTube or you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Today is your day to begin God who is setting his affection on you. And this morning, if you'll respond in faith, if you'll turn from your sins and turn to him, believing that Jesus died for you and rose again, you can come into his covenant family and you can stand in victory forever through faith in Jesus Christ. You reject Jesus, you reject Jesus, you will not stand. But if you embrace Jesus as Lord, you will be given life, hope, eternity with him. Today, give your life to him. Place your faith in Jesus for the very first time. We would love to welcome you into his family. I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus and begin a new life with him. Let me pray for us, and we'll have a time of invitation. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. Father, thank you for how you're reminding us this morning of your great love for us. That eternity past, you set your affection on your people. You've revealed yourself to us. You've given us expectations because we're a privileged people. We want to honor you. We want to live for you. So this morning, I'm asking God in the hearts of people in this room, awaken us. Awaken your church. Help us not sit back and question your love and, 
and say things like, God, if you loved us, you would do this or you would do that. Father, remove those kinds of statements from our lips and help us to see just how blessed we are in Christ. And Father, for that person who's here who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, Father, right now, draw that person to yourself. May that person come this morning confessing his sins, confessing her sins, and choosing this morning to turn to you for life. Have your way now, I ask, Lord. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as your time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.